When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unit 3 review for your test on Thursday, October 3rd. So I'm going to go through the uh, review sheet that you got in class. There's also a digital copy if you prefer that or if you missed class and need a copy. Uh, it's attached to the e-class page so you can look there. So uh, let's go through this. So first up, the voting rights. And the first thing is the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So Real quick, before I go into it, uh, I, I took a, t a topic from each question almost. So that's what these topics are uh, on your study guide. So if you see it on the study guide, there's a good chance there's a question about it on your test. So first up, Voting Rights Act of 1965. Remember, this was created right in the middle of the, or I guess not the middle, toward the end of the civil rights era. Um, and it was to attempt to make it easier um, to vote on African-Americans, basically, okay? The 15th Amendment was not being forced in states. They were making it as difficult as possible to vote. And so um, this Voting Rights Act was supposed to re reduce and get rid of some of those barriers that were being presented. Um, literacy tests, poll taxes, making it difficult to register to vote and things like that, okay? Uh, the 15th through 26th Amendment. So the 15th Amendment, that gave African-American men the right to vote. 17th Amendment is going to be direct election of the senators. The 19th Amendment is the women have the right to vote or suffrage. 24th Amendment, that is going to be uh, the voting uh, or the ending of the poll tax, excuse me. And then the 26th Amendment is the lowering of the voting age to 18. Right? And you got to be able to match those up on the test. We're going to voter turnout. Political efficacy, once again, I struggled with with, with to put the, with the question because the question on the test comes from a chart or a graph that you have to look at and kind of uh, take some information from. Uh, and I'm not sure political efficacy really has anything to do with the answer. Um, but let's talk about it real quick since it's on the study guide. And I think you need to know what it is. Uh, it's that belief that you uh, and your vote matters and counts and you're going to have a, an effect on the outcome of the election. Okay. Uh, responses to a lack of voter turnout. Remember, we in America have a ton of people who could vote, but we lag behind the rest of the country and people actually going out and voting. So what have states done to try and make it easier and more less painful to vote? And some of the, the things states have done here in Georgia is we have uh, early voting. So this time next year, you'll probably be able to start go, going uh, to the Gwinnett elections office building and start voting in the presidential and congressional elections. Uh, you can mail it in. So if you're going to be uh, away next year at college, but you still want to vote here in Gwinnett, then just do a mail-in ballot. You can just say, you don't have to give a reason to say I'm other. I don't feel like saying. So you can do that. All right, moving on to political parties. Uh, the nomination process 
remember it's starting. It's kind of going on right now. We have people running uh, on the Democratic side for their party's nomination. So they're going to be running in the primaries and the caucuses throughout the states starting February 3rd, I think it is, uh, and running through June something or the 6th, I think it is. Now, it'll culminate in the Democratic National Convention on July 11th, 12th, 13th, something like that, when the delegates that these candidates have won in the state primaries and the state caucuses actually cast a deciding vote. Now, we're going to have an idea of who the the candidate's going to be because most people can do math. Uh, And we can count up, well, hey, Elizabeth Warren got this many votes, Joe Biden got this many votes, so on and so forth. And so we'll have a pretty good idea of who the candidate's going to be. Prior to the primaries and caucuses, that wasn't the case. We had no idea going into the convention. Uh, and neither of the candidates oftentimes. Uh, the parties might have a, kind of an idea because they would prop people up. But um, anyways, the, the end goal is to get that convention vote to go your way and be the official nominee for your party. And in this case, it's going to be the Democrats looking to nominate someone. And I guess we'll have to wait and see in a kind of a holding pattern, pattern for the Republicans uh, with what's going to happen with the impeachment uh, going on and the, the, those proceedings, whether the, the House decides to officially bring about articles of impeachment and what the Senate does with those things. That could um, you know, throw some, um, do something with the Republicans, what to say. Uh, all right, task of the political party. I gave you four things. The number one thing you need to know is they're, they're looking to win elections. At the end of the day, the main goal is to win elections. And the, the other stuff that I'm going to talk about goes into helping win elections. Remember, political parties, they want to run the government. That is their goal. And the way they do that is by taking office. And in order to take office, they have to win elections. So that's the goal. They're also going to nominate people. So they will um, you know, nominate at the National Convention. They're going to nominate people to run. They're also looking or finding candidates to run. So there's a ton of congressional seats out there. Uh, that Democrats and Republicans are both looking uh, at running <clears throat> running for. A lot of times the party will ask someone, hey, there's an open spot down in Gwinnett County in the House. Uh, we think you would be a good good person to run in that county for whatever reason. Okay, um, Maybe it's who you are, what you've done. It could be any number of things. And then support the candidates. Donating, not donating, but, but giving money to their campaigns, running political ads and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Democrats versus Republicans. This question on the test is going to be one of those table questions. We've seen them before where you have the Democrats on one side and a column of Democrats, and then you have Republicans on the other. Uh, this question is going to be tend to lean toward the ide- ideology of the parties. So remember, Democrats are liberal. Republicans are conservative. Uh, Democrats favor kind of bigger government, uh, social spending versus military spending. Um, Republicans, once again, they're going to be uh, the more conservative, so less government. They say less spending. They're more military spending over social spending, things like that. All right. Uh, <clears throat> number nine, James Madison and Fed 10. Remember, James Madison is going to argue, say, hey, we're going to have factions. Okay, That's going to be a part of our country. Uh, at some point, we're going to have them. But he said the republic, what we're in, the country we're in, is going to control those factions by keeping them in check. Next up is voting types, the split ticket, the party line, and those things. So, <clears throat> excuse me, split ticket, this was on your quiz, so if you've listened to that podcast, you should know. Uh, split ticket voting is where you vote one way for one office and another way for another office. So, you go in there, and you like the Republican's name, uh, 
for this congressional seat. You like the Democrat's name for this senator, senator seat. You like the Democrat for this judgeship in the local election. You like the Republican for the president. Whatever it is, you, you don't care. You just vote who you, who you think is the best or you just who I like that name or whatever it might be. But you don't have a party that you're going to vote for. All right. That is split ticket. Party line is where you're going in there and you're looking for the Republican or the Democrat. And that's who you're voting for. It doesn't matter who's running. Um, as long as they got an R or a D by their name, that's who you're voting for. All right. um, changes to presidential campaigns. Uh, this is the political parties change and adapt. And just remember, uh, the over the, the, the years, the focus of the campaigns have switched from the parties to the candidates themselves. So we have a candidate-centered uh, campaign nowadays. Uh, think back to 2016. Yes, Trump was a Republican. Hillary was a Democrat. But at the end of the day, you could have taken that stuff away from them, and it was just really about them and, and their characters uh, and you know what they believe and things like that. So that that's why we're saying it's a candidate-centered campaign. They're the ones that are going to be making most of the decisions. It's not going to be run by the, the parties like it used to be. Uh, third parties. So the goals of a third party candidate, all right, a couple things uh, they're looking to do. Uh, they want to get their agenda out there. Remember, they want to try and get their stuff um, addressed by the main parties. That's one of the big things they can do uh, is get national attention for their agenda, for their platform, and get one of the main parties to address it. Uh, they want to play spoiler, all right, so they want to play spoiler role where they can take votes away from one of the people. Um, that's a, a big thing for them. Uh, I remember Ross Perot, it's, uh, I've read that this is what happened in 92 with Bush and Clinton. People that would have voted normally for Bush voted for Perot instead. And so they kind of took votes away from him, and this allowed Clinton to, to slide in and win. All right. Uh, they also bring new groups out. So you know, a lot of people are like, I hate Republicans. I hate Democrats. I'm just not going to go vote because there's no point. And so some people, if they see a third party that you know, piques their interest or has something that they support, then maybe they go vote. Um, and so they, they bring people kind of out of the woodwork sometimes. Uh, how is the system stacked against third party candidates? When I say system, that's the Electoral College. Remember, 48 states have the system in place where it's winner take all. So if you get 51 percent or you know even 50.1 percent, 50.1 percent of the um, the votes in a state, you get all of those electoral votes. There's only two, Nebraska and Maine, that do proportional voting. So it's really difficult for a third party candidate to get any kind of traction in the electoral college. All right. All right. Interest groups. Um, the first thing there is amicus curing briefs. And remember, these are those things that the interest groups or whoever, I mean, you could write one if you want to, if you feel so inclined, you can write a letter to the court. And I gave the example because it just happened yesterday, but a federal court deemed the Georgia uh, abortion ban as basically unconstitutional. I've, I haven't had a chance to read the official wording of what they said, uh, but just for our purposes right now, let's just say they said it's unconstitutional. Okay, you can't do that. Uh, so Georgia is probably going to appeal that decision, and it might have a chance to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, or the appellate courts or whatever it might be. Yeah, you can write letters there if you wanted to, but we concentrate on the Supreme Court. And you would write letters saying, hey, I, I support the abortion ban or I'm against the abortion ban. So pro-life, pro-choice groups are going to write letters 
saying, you know, this is the court case that you ruled on back in 1972. This is the court case you ruled on back in 1992. So they're going to try and cite some instances where the courts have ruled and made decisions that they like. All right. And they're going to you know, kind of give the, the courts an idea of what the, the people, the individuals, not individuals, but the uh, you know, the groups of the United States are feeling about this, this these decisions. Uh, but they are just basically letters, written arguments uh, to the court. Uh, political parties versus interest groups. This is another one of those table questions on the test. You got political pol- political parties, excuse me, in one column, and you got interest groups in another column, and you just have to decide uh, what the kind of the matching uh, is. And remember, at the end of the day, political parties want to win elections by running candidates. All right, interest groups. That's not their their thing. They don't want to run the government. They want to influence the government. Um, and so they're looking for candidates that they can support that might vote for them or help them out down the road. All right. Uh, lobbying. Remember, lobbying is going to be a job all right, um, where you go and you speak on behalf, basically, of an interest group or, or really who are for hire. You could be big business. I, I say interest groups just because we tie that to them more often than not. But you know, you've got big business lobbies, too big tobacco, big oil, uh, all those kinds of things. Um, They go and they speak with government officials and try and convince them, hey, we need you to support this policy. We need this done. We don't like this. We need you to kill it and things like that. Iron triangles. I feel pretty good about our iron triangle stuff. Hopefully you understand it. Uh, It is the relationship between Congress and specifically the, the committees and subcommittees within Congress uh, the bureaucracy and the interest groups, all right, and that relationship there. So the committees, they're the ones that work on the, the laws and the policies. Uh, the interest groups are going to provide support <coughs> for uh, congressional committee members who support them, meaning, hey, this person has, has helped us out in the past. Let's We'll continue to contribute to their, their campaigns and their uh, re-elections and things like that. Um, the bureaucracy, they're the ones that are going to have to enforce the decisions that Congress makes. The interest groups are going to watch them to make sure they're they're doing what they're supposed to. All right. Um, and yeah, um, I feel pretty good about what we did with, with interest groups. I mean, uh, Iron Triangle. So if you're, if you're still struggling with it, let me know. Uh, all right. Next up is electing a president. Rules of the primaries. Remember, that's set by the state legislatures and the state parties. So they're going to do that. Uh, next up was closed primary versus an open primary. Remember, um, in a closed primary, only voters from that party can go vote. So you can't, if you're a Republican, you're not going to be able to go vote on March 23rd or 4th or whatever the date is here in Georgia when we have our primary. You have to be a registered Democrat. The open primary, anybody can go vote. And remember, the fear of an open primary is that we're going to, you know, the other team, the other party is going to come in and vote for the worst possible candidate. So the fear is that the Republicans will come into the Democratic primary and they're going to write in me, Chris Daniels, who would be the worst possible candidate that could they could run. All right. Um, caucuses. Um, remember, I would not do this. Uh, if, if we were if Georgia had this, it just is it's too much time and effort. And I'm not going to put that out to go to go vote. Uh, but this is where we would meet. We would talk about our candidates and try and be, and you would try and convince me to vote your way and, and stuff like that. And it's just, it's not going to happen for me. Okay. Uh, and the first one is in Iowa. So 
the first one is in Iowa. They were always going to be first. That's in their, their what you call it, their state constitution. Uh, Superdelegates, these are people who are supposed to bring about uh, professionalism, legitimacy to the process of picking a president. Instead of just going on the whims of the people, we have these former politicians, former congressmen, former presidents, uh, judges, all kinds of governors, whatever, um, who are superdelegates. Okay? So when you go and vote here in Georgia, you're going to be picking your Democratic candidate. And if they win enough votes, they'll get some of those guaranteed delegates from this state. There are superdelegates from Georgia, though, who are not beholden to what you pick. So if they don't like your choice, so if you picked me, all right, on March 23rd, then they would say, we're not voting for that guy. We're going to vote for the the, the the real the person we think is the best. Okay, we're going to vote for Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or whoever it might be. So superdelegates are not going to be beholden to a candidate. They get to pick and choose. I remember there was kind of a dust up with Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton back in 2016, or the the two, yeah, the, the primaries back then, because Bernie won a couple states, then the super superdelegates were like, we're going to vote for Hillary. And so he didn't win the state like he thought he did. Uh, the next thing on your, your review is table analysis. Uh, there's not much for me to talk about here uh, as far as review goes. Just so you know, there's three questions from a uh, primary, uh, some primary data. Uh, that's the 2008, 2012, and 2016 elections. So basically, you're going to take stuff from there. And... Um, you, you got to pull the information from those that data that data chart, all right? Uh, and I think I think you should be able to do it pretty. You know, just take your time on the 25, 26, and twenty-seven. All right, uh, congressional elections, the incumbents' advantage. Remember, incumbents are going to win more often than not. Those are the people who are in office already, so they will win more often than not. Ninety percent of the time in the House, seventy percent of the time in the Senate, uh, and they they have that name recognition. People. You know, maybe they don't follow politics, but they, they've seen that person's name before. Um, they can do some credit claiming where they can say, hey, I've done this. Whereas the challenger can only say, I will, I want to do this. You don't know what they're going to do. Um, modern campaign, social media's effect on campaigns is a passage question. And um, I think you should be okay here. Uh, you know, social media allows candidates to really focus in on, on groups of people and uh, get their message out without having to go through TV stations and and get ads and things like that. Campaign finance, the PACs, political action committees. Remember, these are groups that were created um, to help get around some of the laws of the, the Federal Election Commission Act or the FECA. I can't remember what it is right now. Um, but that put a limit on how much individuals could donate. But I have more money than that. So I'll give to this group over here who will then either donate to the candidate also or they'll use it to help with the campaign process, buy some campaign time, um, run an ad uh, for this candidate, uh, get a get a, a rally together or whatever it might be. So the political action committees, nothing special about them. It's just another way for interest groups and individuals and big businesses to donate more money to a candidate. So you're limited how much you can donate. So here we go. Let me find a way around it. And then we get super PACs and five twenty and all these other groups. Basically, all the groups are are just ways around the limitations that have been placed throughout the years by Congress. Soft money versus hard money. Soft money is that money that can go 
in unlimited amounts to the parties and they can be used for party building experiences or expenses. And um, yeah, they don't have to be, you don't have to really do anything with them. It's just, here's money, take it and do what you want with it uh, versus hard money, which is the one that's regulated. You have to keep track of, keep up with and all those sorts of things. Citizens United versus the US, uh, versus FEC. So you're going to have the passage on the test and there's three questions kind of from this passage. Um, you know, remember the heart of all of these things when it comes down to the money and the spending. Is it a violation of free speech to limit people's money? Is people spending on campaigns donated to the candidates of their choice? Is that a free speech violation of free speech? So that's at the heart of most of these decisions. And that's the same thing for Citizens United is, is it a free speech thing? Can big businesses, can big corporations give to these groups who in turn run you know, Citizens United was going to run this movie that they had made about Hillary, the candidate. All right. Um, and they eventually ruled that, hey, big businesses can give what they want. OK, so big businesses can give as much as they like uh, to these groups to run commercials and ads and things like that. All right. Last thing is the media uh, investigative journalism. That is just, uh, you know, digging into the politics and kind of the backgrounds of the politicians and, and things like that and look for scandals. There's a lot of investigative journalism going on right now around Trump and his, his stuff already. Narrow casting, that is where you're going to be very specific on what you're programming and you're going after a particular audience. So think ESPN and sports, think um, MTV and, and music and things like that. I guess they used to be. I don't know what they do now. They put out some weird stuff. Sorry. Uh, the agenda setting, this is the media giving us an idea of what uh, we think is important or not what we think is important, but what we should worry about and what should be be looking at. And I, I always like to use the Flint, Michigan thing because it is kind of a random thing up in Flint, Michigan, which is far away from us. But it's an issue because the media made it an issue. Uh, the watchdog function, this uh, kind of puts politicians on notice, kind of goes back to that investigative journalism stuff. Equal time, uh, that is the fact that if I, as a station, sell advertising to one candidate, I got to sell to the other side, too. I can't just say, hey, I'm only going to sell to Republicans. I'm only going to sell to Democrats. I got to sell to both sides. And then write a reply. Uh, if someone's attacked, so if someone came onto my podcast that I'm doing right now and uh, was to start bad-mouthing a candidate and the opponent wanted to and felt the need to come on and rebut or go against what was said about them, uh, I would have to offer them that opportunity. Okay, so that's the right of reply. All right, so there is your review. The test, once again, is 40 questions. It is all multiple choice. There is no writing component to this one. We did the FRQ on Tuesday, that practice one. Um, so there is that. If you have any questions, feel free to reply to the remind that I'm going to send out. You can also email me at the Yahoo account, Coach D underscore 1977 at yahoo.com. I will respond to that. Do not. Email me at my Gwinnett addresses. I do not check that when I leave this place at 2.30 or whatever time it is. Well, 4 o'clock with the credit recovery stuff I got going on. But anyways, uh, get a hold of me if you have questions or concerns about the test tomorrow. And um, best of luck, and I'll see you in class on Thursday. All right, take care.